So this, this morning, I want to continue the larger theme from last time, uh, which concerns intention in our practice, the importance and centrality, really, of working with intention. And last time, I focused on the aspect of intention that we might call aspiration, or connecting with our deeper intentions, which is a very fundamental part of our practice. And today I want to sort of fill out that conversation by, by looking at intention more generally, and particularly the place of practicing with intention uh, moment to moment. It'll, in part, bring up the theme of working with deeper intentions, but I want to look way more broadly at the theme of intention. And it's a, very, um, it's a very central part of our practice. In fact, uh, it's a way of having our practice be real uh, moment to moment in, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of ordinary, ordinary flow. It really is a way of coming back moment to moment and uh, answering the question, how shall I live? How can I live in most connection with my deeper values right now and moment to moment? There's a way that I often think about our practice generally, very simple way of thinking about it, which is that we try to be aware of what's happening using mindfulness, using our awareness. And on the basis of knowing what's happening in the present moment, we formulate an intention that comes out of our best wisdom and compassion. How should I respond right now? You know, um, I'm feeling upset about this. How should I respond? I'm, someone just said something that felt very nasty to me. How shall I respond? Right? Um, I'm sitting at Thanksgiving meal and I'm very full and I'm contemplating a second piece of pumpkin pie. <laughs> How shall I respond? <laughs> How shall I respond to that situation? So there is a way in which uh, we formulate an intention and then we act. So there are these three parts that I sometimes think. There's mindfulness and awareness. There's formulating an intention. And then there's acting. And in a way, our lives are just continuations of those three aspects. And one of the reasons, one of these core reasons why we practice, which we could add to the reasons we looked at last time, is that very often we're not very clear or aware about any of those three aspects <laughs> of our experience. We're not very clear what's happening. We may not be very mindful. We may not be clear about intentions. We may just be on automatic, and hence our actions come more out of habit. We may be on automatic pilot. And so giving attention to those three areas is really, really crucial. 
to the mindfulness, awareness, to developing an intention based on wisdom and compassion, and then to skillful action. And that's true individually. It's also very true at the level of groups or organizations and even the whole society. I would say that, that, that many groups and organizations lack clarity in those three areas. There may not be very much clarity about what's happening. There may not be very much clarity about intentions. One organizational consultant who is a good friend said, most of the difficulties in organizations come because of a lack of clarity about decision-making, which in a way is a lack of clarity about intentions. Uh, another friend who is also an organizational consultant said something very similar. He was giving the reasons, he was answering the question, if we're so smart, why are we so dumb in groups and organizations? And one of his core reasons were, we're often not very explicit or clear about our intentions. I think this is also very true at the level of the whole society in many cases. A lot of the most important decisions that affect our lives are not a matter of clear intention. You know, I think a lot of the major decisions, for example, related to technology are just happening without a whole lot of discussion you know, on all sorts of levels. You know, and you can see that in the past as well. That there are a lot of ways in which we don't bring important decisions uh, into discussion for clarity of intention. It was not hard to notice in the recent elections, no one talked about war and peace. I would say there's a lack of clarity of intention, deliberately <laughs> framed you know, in certain ways for, for that, um, in terms of that. So working with intentions is this, can be this very fundamental practice individually, in our more relational lives, uh, families, groups, organizations, and also in the larger society. So it's a very, very uh, fundamental area. And I talked last time about these two broad kinds of intentions. Um, one uh, is connecting with our deeper intentions. And I, last time I looked at um, one framing of deeper intentions. I gave a personal version of what 12 deeper reasons for practice might be. And those, those are on the handout that are, that are on that table, which you can get at the end if you haven't got it. So I, I talked about this, these deeper intentions to connect with our, what we sense is this deep human potential for love, for wisdom, for, for compassion. And you may have uh, gone to that intention at the beginning of the sitting when I asked to connect with deeper intentions. I practice because I want to open my heart. I want to develop in wisdom. That might be the deeper intention. Or I may practice because I know what suffering is and I want to find a way not to suffer as much. That may be motivation for practice. Or it may, and I gave 12 of these reasons. One another, I practice because I want to help others. And I can't help others well unless I get a little further training <laughs> on how to be skillful. So I may practice out of the motivation to help others. Or I may practice because something intuitive in my own being 
says yes, that this is what I, what I want to do. And so we have that level of intention, which I, I would call aspiration. Some people might call it what we are dedicated to or our deeper values. And working with intention concerns, as much as possible, having those deeper intentions be more and more present in our lives. Often they're not, right? Often we remember our deeper intentions only at certain, mo- only at certain moments or times. You know, a lot of uh, midlife crisis, so-called, reminds us what, of what was deeper. You know, and I remember, <clears throat> I remember um, when I was uh, a college teacher at uh, Kenyon College in Ohio, I would typically um, ask people when they were seniors this kind of question. How many of you would be very, very happy taking a job that paid a, a moderate income in which you could do what you most deeply want to do with your lives? And 90% of the people raised their hands. 80 or 90%. About 10 or 20% were interested in money. But not that many, actually. And then I asked, how many of you think that you'll be able to find a job in which you can actually do that? And about 10% of the people raised their hands. It's kind of a tragedy, really. And what does that translate into? Their deeper values will get submerged by the realities of being busy, having to work, and so forth. And if they're lucky, they'll resurface with midlife crisis. And if they're not lucky, they may surface when they retire or when they're dying. This is how it often is. And so uh, finding ways to connect with deeper intention is very, very crucial. And there's also this second um, aspect of intention, which is to find ways to have very specific intentions in the moment, which aren't necessarily clearly and dramatically connected with our deeper intentions. It just might be, I want to, for this meditation, keep coming back to the present moment. That's my intention that I set at the beginning of the sitting. Or it might be, I want to be with my partner and really listen to what he or she has to say, something like that. And the specific intentions can be often very mundane, very ordinary, But what they can do, if we're skillful, is they can be ways that we um, connect with the deeper intentions moment to moment in ordinary activities. We we might say there are ways of operationalizing the deeper intentions, making them very um, specific. And so that's that's a very important part of practice. So what I want to do today is to explore this whole field of intentions and to uh, bring out the importance. I was thinking of doing it in four steps, and I'll try to, it's, it's a little ambitious to cover all these. I'll see, see how my timing works. The first is to just talk about what are intentions, the nature of intentions. Second, to talk about the importance of intentions, which I've already done some. Third, to talk about karma, which in Buddhist tradition is closely linked with intention. And fourth, to give some practices uh, for 
developing more awareness and skill with intentions. Maybe this is a two-talk two <laughs> two topic. I'll have to see. I'll have to see. Uh, it may be. But I'll, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to cover those four, and maybe, maybe I would want to come back. I was thinking of next week as good to have something related to Thanksgiving, but this could be connected, I think. So, so, so first, what are intentions? Um, in Buddhist tradition, and I think this is also true in much of Western psychology and philosophy, intentions are taken to be there all the time. They're there in, in, uh, in Buddhist psychology, the word for intention is chetana, C-E-T-A-N-A, which is actually very close etymologically, comes out of the same root as the word for mind. The word we translate as mind or, or heart, which is chitta. And uh, it's taken to be one of the factors that's always present in experience. There's always, in every moment of experience, there's some kind of intention. Uh, many of them are pretty unconscious. But it's said that intention is always there. And there's a, there's a uh, interesting uh, passage in, the, in one of the texts, uh, particularly on, on this quality of chetana, her intention, which says, what one intends, what one plans, and whatever one has a tendency towards, this becomes a basis for the maintenance of consciousness. This is, a, this is one of the building blocks for every moment of consciousness, that there's some kind of intention. And interestingly, some of them are conscious, and some of them are more unconscious. We would call those tendencies. That was the translation in this passage. There are tendencies, there are dispositions, there are habits. And as we'll see, one of the aspects of intention practice is to be more conscious about our intentions so we're not so ruled by the unconscious intentions. And so it's important to start looking at intention. So I'll just do a little exercise right now which is to just for a moment uh, go within. You can go into a, a way of just attending to your experience. And notice if you can see any intentions right now. There might be the intention to notice intentions. You can notice that. like to invite you right now to get ready to raise your right arm. But wait until you notice the intention to raise your right arm and then raise it. Could you feel an intention there? And we'll do one more exercise like that. Now, raise your left arm, but only do so after you've waited to notice an intention. How many of you could notice some, something that feels like an intention right before you raised your, your arm? What did it feel like? Like a little 
little whoop, <laughs> something like that. It doesn't. How many of you had sound effects with your <laughs> with your intention? Um, and one of the one of the very interesting practices that we can do for, especially on retreat, is when we slow down and we start noticing the flow of intentions. You know, when we when we move. You, you might even just try this as we're, as we're talking. Just move your arm and notice that there's an intention connected with it. And we notice that we we're, invite ourselves to explore intentions. When you're, um, you know, starting to eat a meal or you notice yourself reaching for something, there's an intention there. Again, a lot of the intentions occur beneath the level of consciousness. They're, they're, they may be habits, and they could be good habits as well as bad habits. Habits doesn't mean something negative necessarily. We can have wonderful habits to be kind, and we're just kind without clarity of intention, right? Could, it could be a very, very good habit, not, not necessarily negative. And, and so the invitation is to start being aware of intentions, and particularly in our practice, What's important are those intentions which are really uh, setting up actions which could be, could, could be harmful or not harmful. We're particularly, a large number of our intentions are neutral in a way. They're just happening. They're raising the arm. They are moving, you know, moving the, the hand to the mouth for eating. And a lot of our intentions are not so much uh, ethically or spiritually significant, but a lot of them are. And also, when we study intentions, we get a better sense of the relationship of mind and body. We study how our intentions really, in a way, mediate mind and body, as in the example of raising the arm. So it's actually a chance to really uh, study, uh, study the mind and study the body more carefully. But we're particularly interested in this flow of intentions and being able to tune in to intentions, particularly when there are situations where we may be uh, either developing, let's say, a good habit or a bad habit. And that really brings me to the second theme, which is why, why, are, uh, why is looking at intention important? You know, it's partly important to get to know more, with more depth, the way that the mind and body connect. But it's especially pointed to in terms of our practice, in terms of looking at the, really looking at the importance of discerning skillful intentions from unskillful intentions. That's really the key. And and not being so much at the mercy of intentions which come out of habit and come out of the past. And really, in other words, the practice with intention is about carving out a space of freedom in which we're not dominated by the past, in which we can be skillful in the present moment. And working with intentions is central to this. There is this uh, story from the Zen tradition which, to me, really gets at the essence of this practice, which is one that I, I, I like very much. And I mentioned from time to time, it was uh, uh, 
a report of the response of a Zen teacher in the 10th century in uh, China to the question he was asked, he was asked, what is the teaching of an entire lifetime? Meaning, he, he was being asked, lay it all out, Zen teacher. <laughs> you know, what's, what's the essence of enlightenment or what's the essence of why we do all this? What's the meaning of life, you might say? He was asked, what is the teaching of an entire lifetime? And his answer, this is Yunnan from the 10th century in China, his answer was appropriate response. And I would connect that with intention. Appropriate response coming out of skillful intention, coming out of freedom in the, in, in the present moment. And so partly we want to be more mindful of what intentions are, and these can really help us to ask that question, is this a skillful intention to follow? Is this not a skillful intention to follow? And a lot of what actually helps us with practice is simply asking the question, what's an appropriate response right now? What should I do? How should I live in this moment? So a lot of our practice of intention can come from simply asking that question when we have some doubts. And as we practice more, Sometimes, especially we practice with the, for example, with the ethical precepts or we practice with wise speech, we may come up with a moment, like some of the examples I gave earlier, someone says something uh, in an unfriendly way to me, how do I respond? What's my intention right now? I can notice my habit energy formulating an equivalently nasty reaction, right? I can feel, sometimes feel that energy. And it's the space of intention practice to to ask, to kind of go against the momentum of the habit and ask, what's skillful right now? And I would say if we can actually ask that question, that's 80% of the practice, Mm -hmm. right? Because so much of what happens, we don't ask the question. We don't have the, the, as it were, the space of choice or the space of freedom. So an intention practice is basically expanding the space of freedom. It's asking, what do I want right now? What's my intention right now? And we can see how much our choices will influence the future. This is from the Dhammapada, one of the most beloved of the Buddhist texts. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, and thought in this translation is very close to intention. With our thoughts we make the world, speak or act with an impure mind, and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts we make the world, speak or act with a pure mind, and happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable. And so that's the essence of our practice, is to ask, what, how should I respond? How should I act right now? And to ask that question. And what's particularly powerful about our practice is that we can have that space of freedom even if we've had a lot of negative occurrences occur in the past. 
that practice can make possible um, freedom in the present moment, even if there's been a very difficult past that has its own momentum that would lead to suffering. And for me, actually, some of the most powerful uh, moments for me, especially I think of being with others, is seeing how other people, even with a lot of suffering in their past, have this kind of heroism where they say, I don't want to be at the mercy of my past conditioning. I will act differently. For, for whatever reason, that's something which has very much moved me. I was, you know, I was thinking of um, one woman uh, who's a friend who in middle age talked about the years of working with a very difficult childhood and how this had, in her mind, made it very difficult to have the career that she wanted. That, you know, it was connected with a certain amount of loneliness and, and uh, real frustration that her gifts would not be actualized. And yet she would hear the voice that said, because of your past, you are doomed. And she would, and she would be able to identify that, be mindful of it, and say no, and act with other intentions. You know, to me, that's um, heroic in a way. It's ordinary heroism of a kind that I'm sure many or most of us uh, manifest at times. You know, that, and, but I think it's something that's very powerful that even with a difficult past, there can be with inner work and different kinds of support from others, there can be a way to have freedom in the moment, even when that past conditioning comes up. And we can ask, do I want this when it comes up? And when we have enough support in, internally and externally, we can say no, and we can actually move in a different direction. I've seen that over and over again with people with whom I work. And it's, to me, very, very inspiring. You know, I was also just thinking, another example which comes readily to mind for me is of watching the old films of the civil rights movement and seeing particularly for me moving has been to see like older African-American men and women who've had a lifetime at that point in the 1960s had a lifetime of um, being treated unjustly and unkindly and their response is not to be bitter (coughs) but it's to respond with dignity and care. To me, that's the space. In, in, in a sense, I've often thought that there was a kind of inner freedom there that made a kind of outer freedom uh, inevitable, in a way, <laughs> if that makes some sense. That there's an inner freedom of not being bound by a difficult past. And this is, again, where intention practice comes. That emphasis on intention is actually at the center, and this is my, my third area that I wanted to explore, of the, the meaning of karma in the Buddhist tradition. There's a lot of mystification and confusion about the meaning of karma, but it's actually the most basic meaning in the teachings of the Buddha. It's quite simple. There's a passage where the Buddha says, it is intention that I call karma, having intended one performs an action through body, speech, or mind. And it's that quality of intention 
that really, in a way, uh, creates karma either in Buddhist language, either good or bad. So what, is, what does that mean? I think it's pretty close to what we've been exploring, which is that with our choices, with our intentions, we set up tendencies for the future. If I strengthen kindness, if I act with a kind intention, I will strengthen kindness. If I act greedily, I will strengthen greed. If I act out of confusion, I will strengthen confusion. It's as simple as that. What that suggests is that every moment really matters. It's actually saying that every moment of a skillful intention um, supports us basically moving towards greater well-being and happiness. It's kind of sobering. Every moment matters. Okay, this moment matters. This moment matters. Every moment matters because it's setting up the tendencies for the future. So it's not really, that's the essence of karma. It's simply that present actions condition future occurrences. That's it. You know, we often hear a more, um, I would say, mystified sense of karma, which is karma is a kind of a fate or something, or it's like um, um, when I once, I remember once when I was uh, working, uh, I was working, I have a, in, in my book, The Engaged Spiritual Life, I have a chapter on intention. One, when I was working on that book, one morning I had a house guest uh, for a few days, uh, an old friend, and, and um, she happened to um, use the toilet and it got stuck, and she said, that's my karma. <laughs> you know, and, and I didn't. I didn't, I didn't criticize her for her use of a mystified sense of karma. <laughs> but uh, I, think that, I think that's a common use. And I think it's not, it's the core meaning is that is, is very simple and common sense. It's that we, every moment, we set up the conditions for future moments. You know, but we, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of misuse, really, of karma. You know, I, and I know I had friends who organized... Um, a gathering in Thailand on, uh, on particularly focused on the understanding of karma. And they heard a lot of stories of how karma is sometimes uh, misused in the Asian context. That, that they heard stories of monks telling uh, a wife who was being beaten, keep with the beating with equanimity and kindness. It is your karma. And it will be, and you know, if you stay with an open heart, you will be good in the long run. Right? So there's sometimes that sense of karma can be misused to be passive towards oppression. And I think it's been misused like that sometimes. If we stay with that most basic sense of karma, simply as the power of intention in the present moment and the importance of coming back to that uh, over and over again, I think we stay on a more um, reliable uh, basis. We can really act in that way. There's actually a, a text. Uh, there's a discourse when the Buddha was asked, does every unpleasant experience in the present moment connect with karma? 
In other words, if, I'm, if I suddenly get a bad disease, is that my karma? Again, common, common um, way that karma is interpreted. Or does the child who died in the Holocaust, was that that child's karma? You know? um, and the Buddha actually was asked, this was 2,500 years ago, he was asked, does every unpleasant experience in the present moment connect with karma? And he said, to say that would be to overshoot. There are eight kinds of causality, he said. And he would include a lot of what we know as more physical and biological causality. And he said, karma is one kind of causality at play. So, interesting. That's right there 2,500 years ago in the text. So, I, th I think that we're quite uh, supported by looking at karma in this very simple, common sense notion, very challenging, that in the moment what I do matters because it conditions the way my mind and heart and body will be in future moments, which is kind of commonsensical, right? Mm -hmm. But also profound and challenging because it, as it were, puts us on the spot moment to moment, right? You know, happiness is not something dispensed from above, but it actually is something that can depend to a large extent on how we respond moment to moment. And that's the power of intention. So, uh, the last, the last um, theme I wanted to explore is how, given that understanding of intention, do we practice? How do we practice with intentions? And I want to give, and I think I am going to succeed in terms of time, uh, although I'll be a little brief on the practice. I think there, you know, for me, there are four clear ways to practice. Um, one is to, and these are, um, these are ways that the practice with intentions can be right there in our daily lives. The first is to be more mindful of intentions. The second is to regularly connect with our deeper intentions. The third is to set specific intentions a lot for our actions, for our activities. And the fourth is to use intentions, especially in difficult circumstances. So those are four ways of practicing with intention. And I, those are individual ways. These can also be done in organizations, and groups and so forth. And again, if, if, if uh, my friends were correct in saying that organizations often don't have a lot of clarity of intentions, one of the areas that we might uh, work in or contribute is bringing clarity of intentions to the groups or organizations that we're part of. I know that's been important for me in a lot of the programs that I've worked with and organizations. I've tried to encourage us to have group agreements about what our intentions are, which totally changes an organization when that's the case. You know, and so maybe I, maybe I can say more about that in, in, in discussion. But the, the um, group setting can make a big difference. I know for myself, uh, one of the reasons I love being on retreats is that my deeper intentions are supported by others. And they're not totally dependent on me to come up with them. It's harder at home, right? You go on retreat or you come here Wednesday morning and you might find a mirroring of your deeper intentions. At home with the distractions of the internet, television, 
text messaging, and food, <laughs> sometimes practice is hard to find, right? And so um, I, I want to mostly focus on individual practice, but not to underestimate the, the importance of group support for our intentions. I know particularly when I first uh, came out to California, and I had been living in rural Ohio and Kentucky for seven years, and I would just come into a setting where people shared my intentions, and I would, something in me would just relax and say, oh, this feels so good. You know, I'm, I'm, I, uh, my intentions can be supported without me working as hard, maybe. Maybe it's one way to say it. So these four ways of practicing. First, mindfulness of intentions. It's, uh, I think, especially something we can do when we're not sure what to do or when we have an ethical question or when something comes up that, that is challenging for us. It's to ask, what are my intentions right now? If we notice ourselves being drawn by habits, we can ask, what are my intentions? Um, sometimes we can reflect and say, what intentions must be beneath the surface for me to have acted like that? <laughs> right? Because remembering that a lot of our intentions surface more as habits and dispositions, and a lot of our practice is to bring unconscious intentions more to the surface and know what they are particularly the unskillful ones. So we could be, we, one way to practice would be periodically in the midst of action to ask, what's my intention right now? Why am I doing this? You know, and not to looking for anything particularly dramatic, but just to be in touch with intentions. Uh, a lot of the work with intentions comes when we start noticing some of my habitual patterns. And I can start to unpack what are the intentions behind the way that I typically react when someone is mean to me. There might be an intention there that we're not in touch with. It might be an intention to defend myself. Or it might be an intention to um, be safe or protect myself. And so sometimes connecting with those deeper intentions can be something we reflect on just to know, why am I doing this? What's going on? To be mindful, to, to notice, particularly with challenging moments. A second practice is to regularly touch deeper intentions. This, in a way, is a, a simpler practice. It could be once or twice or a few times a day to remember deeper intentions. It's something very good to do at the beginning of every meditation period. In a lot of traditions, it's done like this. You know, in many of the Asian traditions, before one would meditate, one would say, some, often through a chant, uh, what one's deeper intentions are, even if they're not necessarily, you know, felt 100% authentically, right? Sometimes they're just said, but they help. And we can, we can repeat, we can connect with deeper intentions. We're going to work, can connect with a deeper intention. Just take a minute for it. Take a minute, you know, I try to connect with my deeper intentions four times a day. You know, before breakfast, in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. Just for a minute or two. And I have a little chant that I say to myself, that I made up. You know, and you can really make it personal like that. Uh, there are different ways of connecting with deeper intentions. I think doing things which bring about more silence and more 
of a, a way, I think when we're not so busy, deeper intentions surface. I find that on retreats, my deeper intentions always surface more. Or maybe we take a day or two in the forest or in the mountains, just time for ourselves, and the deeper intentions can surface. Maybe they surface here, you know, as we, as we sit here. You know, there, there are different ways to work with it. We can work with the ethical precepts. You know, for example, with speech, which we focus on a lot here on Wednesday mornings. Working with the guidelines for speech is a way of working with deeper intentions, because those guidelines for speech invite us with, our, with all of our speech to be truthful, to be helpful, to come out of a warm heart, and to have appropriateness of speech, good timing, and, and just to ask those questions in terms of speaking is a very concrete way to work with deeper intentions. I once uh, made a personal vow with a close friend. We just did this together. That had a lot of power for me. I, uh, this was, I think, about eight or ten years ago. And I made an intention, and we did it together. We both said, we want to support each other in our practice. And we made, a ve- made, kind of made vows and had the other as witness. And my vow was to um, um, be present and have my actions come out of kindness. Very simple like that. May all, I think it was, may all my actions come out of presence and kindness. And making that vow with another person gave it a lot of power. And it was really a strong presence in my life for about two years. Quite inter- you know, I, and I would remember it when I would go into a meeting or go into some activity. I would remember that intention. Very, 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 very simple way of doing that. But having the other person really, really helped a lot. The third area is to set intentions for specific activities. Just before ordinary activities, before a meeting, just what's my intention right now? We can, you know, I think when we do uh, grace before a meal, it's a way of setting an intention, right? Can be the intention of, we're just having a moment of silence when we start a meal, is a way of saying something like, uh, I want to move away from all the busyness and have a way of being present and almost like creating a sacred space for the meal. And silence, a little ritual like that, can be a way of having, of really uh, uh, bringing that intention into, into our time. can do it in all sorts of activities. Um, can do it in meditation, can do it in meetings. Um, I remember when I helped with, um, I helped as part of Buddhist Peace Fellowship with uh, demonstrations before the invasion of Iraq. And we were meeting in San Francisco and we had these groups. And we would, everyone would meet an hour before and we'd meditate and then everyone would say, what's your intention for these next hours? Right? And people would do that. It was a way of bringing intentions into social action. You can do it in all, in all sorts of ways. And the last, the last area I want to mention is the special importance of being clear about intentions in difficult moments. When we're not sure of something, when we tend to feel ourselves being reactive or when our buttons are pushed, it's a great time to work with intentions 
to really come back and say, what do I really want? You know, to, to be with um, our more authentic selves when things are harder. It's a wonderful starting point for, for practicing. I think I'll just end now with um, a story uh, from the Dalai Lama about intentions. Because he, he also, he agrees, intentions are important. <laughs> That's not the story. But, uh, uh, but he, was, he was here at Spirit Rock about 10 years ago. And he was asked, um, you get a lot of criticism. You know, some of the Chinese criticize you as a, um, as a counter-revolutionary or the phrase they sometimes use for the Dalai Lama, you're a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Some of the younger Tibetans criticize you for going too slowly, having this faith in nonviolence, you know? And he said, how do you respond to all these criticisms? He said, I check out my intention. And if my intention is sincere, I don't worry. I connect with my intention. And if my intention is sincere, he said, the other, the other comments just float around me in a way. And then he was asked, you know, you get, you hear, you know, you hear a lot of uh, horrible stories. Tibetan refugees, when they leave Tibet, they come and meet with the Dalai Lama, and a lot of the stories they tell are those of torture and real horrible experiences. And he said, how do you work with fear or being out of balance? And his answer was, I look carefully at my intentions. If my intentions are sincere, I don't feel fear. Let's just sit for a moment. So we have some time for um, questions or reflections. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.